Do you know someone struggling to figure out their mental health benefits? The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office is here to help. Find us at insurance.ohio.gov slash G-E-T-M-H-I-A or call us at 855-438-6442. Don't wait. The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office can help you figure out what mental health insurance benefits may be in their plan. Call us today at 855-438-6442. Welcome everybody to Parks and Recollection with me, Rob Lowe, and Alan Yang. This is a, this is amazing. We're season three. Season three, we made it. We made it. They said it couldn't we be made, done. Huh, huh, huh. <laughs> we made it. Season three of Parks and Recreation. This episode is called "Go Big or Go Home." And not only is it season three premiere episode uh, this week, but we have our one of our favorite guests back, Mr. Dean Holland who directed the episode. Hi, Dean. Welcome. Hi. What up, Dean? Thanks for having me back. Of course. Are you responsible in any way for the horrific, previously on Parks and Recreation, <laughs> that begins this episode? I love you know, welcoming I, the guests with that. I love welcoming <laughs> them, man. I, you know, I wouldn't take responsibility for it, but uh, it was a request from the network, and they made us do it. I think the actual president of the network is the guy doing the voiceover. That would th- really, it's the voice. I, I think so. I think there were there was even time where Mike and I were like, "Well, let them fucking cut it." <laughs> you know? Yeah, we didn't want to do it at all. We really didn't. But re- if you remember, we were supposed to be on in the fall, and then they pushed us for that amazing show that w- that replaced us outsourced that's right yes uh, I, right? yes right. I, I have another pod about outsource outsource and recollections <laughs> I'm taping this after yeah. this. It's, it's, it's huge ratings it's much bigger than this pod so yeah. apologies uh, to it, the, uh, the fans of that show yeah we're really sorry about that maybe i shouldn't have said that but um but so then we got pushed to i guess maybe january where or that's something right. like that that's right so it had been eight or nine months before we, of us not being on television and the network was like nope you got to remind everybody where we were i remember agonizing over what the vo would be uh, i remember i think i was in some of the edits i i wrote i, I wrote this episode i have the writing credit on it and so yeah we discussed it and no one none of us on the creative team wanted to do it but there nope. it is and the, the his, there it is. T- his tone of it's almost like from the 70s or something or the 80s like yes leslie loves whipped cream dancing with friends, and working hard for the Parks Department of Pawnee, Indiana. I think, to be honest with you, we, like, had so many people read. And the problem was, is it just didn't work, period. Yes. So we we were never going to find a voice that told the story well, because we shouldn't be doing it in the first place. (laughs) 
Well, you know what? It's a great episode, in my opinion. I really like it. You did a great job. It <laughs> first aired. It first aired January. Beside VO aside, January twentieth, twenty eleven, is when it aired. That's when season three premiered. Um, written by Alan Yang, directed by Dean Holland. All right, let's do some nopes, notes, some fun facts about the episode. You ready? All right. The first nopes note, this episode is the very first in Parks and Rec history to feature. Number one, Adam Scott. Number two, Rob Lowe. Number three, Jim O'Hare. Number four, Retta as regular cast members instead of guest stars. So what does that mean? You see them listed on screen as regulars. You see their names in the credits. It's, it's an upgrade. So those four very funny, very beautiful, very handsome people all got added to the show. All right, and one more Nopes note. The Swanson Pyramid of Greatness, very popular amongst many, many people, is uh, similar to, or some would say a ripoff, of the Pyramid of Success used by John Wooden. And and for those of you who are too young to remember this, or or not sports fans, or not basketball fans, John Wooden was uh, largely considered the greatest college basketball coach of all time. He coached uh, UCLA and coached them to many, many, many titles. And he was kind of this old-school coach who had a Pyramid of Success that, again, you know, I think we all took stabs at writing jokes for the Swanson Pyramid of Greatness, which, um, you know, kind of a rip off of the Wooden Pyramid. So that was that. I don't think it's an exaggeration. We spent two full work days on that. <laughs> so that, that kind of thing, yeah. And here's the synopsis for my synopsisters and brothers. After three months of closure, due to the Pawnee budget crisis and government shutdown, the Parks Department has since been reopened, although on a shoestring budget. Meanwhile, the always optimistic Chris, played by Rob Lowe, continues trying to convince Anne to go on a date with him. Anne finds him too intense, but Leslie convinces her to accept a date and try to persuade Chris to increase the park's budget. Ben restarts the Youth Basketball League with only two teams. They are coached by Ron, who's extremely strict with his players, and Andy, who is very laid back. Tom, who referees the game, becomes jealous when his ex-wife, Wendy, arrives to support Ron. Anne finds she actually enjoys her day with Chris, especially learning about why he feels fortunate to be alive every day. Leslie crashes the date to help Anne persuade Chris to increase the park's budget, but to her surprise, Ben also arrives, having predicted Leslie's plan. Leslie excitedly declares mission accomplished after Chris talks about increasing the park's budget, accidentally giving away her scheme and prompting Chris to leave. Anne apologizes to Chris later and asks for another date, to which he happily agrees. Since his kiss with Anne, Andy's been trying to get back in touch with April to no avail and is happy to see April in the Parks Department, but an unimpressed April explains she's been in Venezuela where she met her new boyfriend. A discouraged Andy seeks advice from Leslie, who encourages him not to give up and to, quote, go big or go home. It's a title of the episode. Inspired by her own advice, Leslie proposes restoring the Parks Department with a grand harvest festival. Impressed by the team's enthusiasm, Chris and Ben agree to the idea. A lot going on in this episode. It's a season premiere. Season premiere is always tough because there's so much to kind of kind of recap. Even without a VO, they're tough. But with the yeah. VO, yeah, it, it's it, this was a big one. I remember brainstorming this one. Yeah, and I also remember, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I'm jumping all the way to the end because I think there's some really fun stuff to talk about in yeah. this, but... Didn't we kind of rewrite and reshoot that ending? Yes. I think the ending got actually almost totally reshot. I, I, it's basically just one scene. But, but yeah. something about it, it was like, it, it, it was getting the energy up. I, it, I, I love when they cut to Chris and he's crying. I love when, you know, she puts on the music, the Chicago Bulls music, and 
we wanted some epic feel to the end, right? I think mm-hmm. that was because we were launching. So ultimately, a little bit of backstory. You know, look, we had to come back from the government shutdown storyline. And so it was kind of hotly debated in the writer's room about what to do to solve that and to incorporate Chris and Ben into the show. Um, yeah. And one pitch was this Harvest Festival pitch, which is weirdly named after a bumper sticker I used to see in my hometown. There's something called Harvest Festival in my hometown of Riverside, California. I think in retrospect, it was some kind of religious event, but I didn't know what it was. So it just the name just stuck in my head. So I wrote it, yeah. I wrote it in the script and I pitched it as the idea of Go Big or Go Home was you you you're 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 down in terms of money but if you throw a big thing you could raise money and so the objection from the logic police the people in the writers room who who want to adhere to the rules of logic was like well you wouldn't spend more money if you're already in the hole but to me the greater idea was this show is about optimism this show is about government succeeding and this show is about a can-do spirit and the idea that leslie wants to bring back this tradition and really swing for the fences and if the harvest festival works it will raise money and that's ultimately what the idea we ended up going with and so this launches essentially a seven episode arc right so um that's what that's why that ending needed to be really sort of grand and and meaningful and it was and i think like there was also a lot of eyes on it there was a lot of critiquing of it from the network and stuff like that and obviously with that wonderful opening you know previously on they just they kind of really got their hands on it but in the end i think we came out with the better ending yes it, you it, know? it was I, I love that ending getting to do that reshoot really was great and and it, it, yeah. it sort of springs you into the arc right it springs you into okay chris and ben are are integrating themselves into the show there's clearly yeah. something going on with chris and ann there's something brewing with leslie and ben and ultimately those story arcs really paid off for us and and um but there, there's a lot of just fun fun shit in the episode too like i love the the basketball stuff right it was like that, the ba- that was- oh i remember don't you remember I, I think i came to you and i was like all i want to do is to see nick walking through with balls going like yes. this in his foreground yeah. that yeah. he would never ever even his yeah. guys are trained so well that they wouldn't hit him you know and then <laughs> there's that there's that transition between Ron's team, and then you pan over and see Andy's team, and it's pure chaos. Yeah, and and of course he's wearing the red sweater, kind of a Bobby Knight homage, and throws the chair. Yeah, of course the and we, which we shot exactly the way. Yes, it is in the, the video. YouTube clip, and and yep. I, I'm a huge basketball fan, so this was really fun for me. We did the whole Ron Swanson pyramid of greatness. Oh, if you freeze frame it, you can see all the. The little, the little. Uh, I would the say, jokes on I it. would say, you could do an entire podcast just on the pyramid of greatness. I feel like right? we sure. wasted weeks of writing time on that. <laughs> Don't <laughs> you? Do, I, it it kept getting better and better. Don't you remember? I remember one, the last stint of like working on the pyramid of greatness. I think you, Mike, me, Morgan. And maybe someone else was in Mike's office, and we added like three more yes. lines to it. The three pyramid just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> I, I noticed one. Like I remember, I think I pitched this one. I hesitate to even say, but he's like, you know, you 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 basically you never eat fish. Fish meat is basically a vegetable. There's a one I <laughs> yeah. love, which says in the back when you can't even see it. It says, you know, usually it's like honor, strength, courage, all this stuff. One of the boxes just says old wooden sailing ships. They're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's that's on the pyramid. It's like. That doesn't yeah. have much to do with basketball, but 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 yeah, I, I love that. I shit. mean, I, I think that's probably one one of the most downloaded things from our show. I yes. mean, th- that's incredibly popular. <laughs> yes, I, and, and this whole for good reason. This whole episode is so fast paced, and and 
it feels like I know we shot season three very soon after season two, but it felt like even having watched the season two episodes, the show just is more confident. It's really it's it was so fast yeah. I could barely type my notes. You know, it was really just like energetic and fun and and we, and we I get think to we see, were hitting yeah, our stride. I think so. We I were hitting our stride. This is one of maybe maybe my favorite season. And and how about how about the depth that Chris Traeger when he uh, he's he, he's kind of explaining his positivity? I wasn't ready for that in this episode. Like he's it like it was awesome, meaningful, meaningful. Right? What was it like shooting that rub? And that was one of the reasons I love playing Chris was that every once in a while. You know, there was a reveal to him that he was more than the optimistic machine. And um, and and that that was a, you know, to be able to do something that, that has that kind of tone and, as you say, depth to it within the context of the kind of show that we're doing, you don't get to do on a lot of comedies. And um, I was really happy to to be able to do that. It's a very it's a very sweet scene. Yeah. You know what? I, you know what I think you did so well in that, Rob, was. It, it, right. So you have Chris Traeger who's up here all the time. Right. So right. If, if you're up here with positivity and upbeat attitude, you didn't have to go so low because just bringing it down to almost like a normal level made it seem like Chris Traeger was really going deep. You know, <laughs> That's it was right. like yeah, yeah. because yeah. You, you, you like I think a lot of people would have taken it like darker and deeper or not darker, maybe more sad and emotional. And it just worked. It was like, it felt like Chris Traeger was being so honest and it made you think, oh my God, he's actually honest about all this shit that he does. He's yeah. really, he's good at that. Like, this is the way he is. He truly is this person. So um, I think it really helped his character. Yeah, and it's a good sort of reveal. And I, I think it's a good example of, of how well Mike was building the show in terms of, uh, you know, giving the characters dimensionality. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of sitcoms, you would take this, you know, stereotype of a character and just push in that direction, push, 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 but it's somewhat, sometimes more valuable to you know, explain and to give these dimensions so that in future episodes when they're funny, you understand why and you just accept them more as a person. You care. You care more about them as opposed to just joke machines and broadening them and broadening them. Like, why don't you try deepening them a little bit? So, you know, a little bit of that goes a long way, but I think it's like, oh, I buy this and I buy why Anne would continue to like him and, and try to date him, right? So I thought that was a good explanation. By I, the I, way, it's yeah. it's the third episode that Rob's in, right? Technically? Yes. And we're already... Yes. And Ann Perkins is impersonated. That's right. That's, right? It, it's, We're already like he, he has <laughs> one catchphrase after three episodes. That's got to be a record. But. I, know. I know. How did that? I know. I'm actually serious. How did that happen? I don't really remember. I, I think. Did. I think what happened was I told Mike in the first meeting. I started talking about Tom Cruise, and there was a minute where. There was a little bit Tom Cruise was in the mix of how, of Chris's intensity. And we even did the thing of where Chris ordered a water. And then the pointing came, I think, out of that because he was pointing at the waitress. And and then the next thing you know, it became the the pink, the the pointing when I met them. But now in this episode, what I like is I, I do at the end of it, I do when, when I realized that Ann Perkins really didn't want to go on a date with me because she didn't. She was only doing it to try to get money out of me for the parks department. And there's no Traeger that was more fun to play than disillusioned Traeger. <laughs> it's... And, and, and his disillusioned Ann Perkins <laughs> like made me laugh. And what I realized is like sometimes two words as an actor, if you can get 
mileage out of two words and make them mean a billion different things. That's really fun. On the West Wing, for me, it was thank you, Mr. President. I could get, I could make thank you, Mr. President mean 5,000 different things. And in Parks and Recreation, it was Ann Perkins. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really did. It did. It's really like already, it's, again, it's your third appearance in the show and it's already, yeah, I see that. I get it. Like, I get yeah. this guy. He's already doing it. And I have to also say kudos to, you know, Alan, you and Mike and all the writers because this like misunderstanding with, uh, with Chris Traeger and Ann Perkins, like many shows would make that continue on. But yet we just go to the next day. Ann Perkins shows up and she's like, Leslie's my best friend. I would do anything for her. So I did it. But I really like you, and I want to date you again. And it was Ann Perkins, right? Yeah. And it was and like, it's over. Right. Yeah. Ann Perkins. Yeah. It's over. It was like, don't carry that crap on. It's, Let's it, not it, drag it's like, out. Exactly. And it was such a smart way to do it. And you liked those characters for it. You like them. You like you. You go. Oh yeah. Like you, you know what I mean. Like you go. It made sense. Yeah, you loved Anne for coming in, and you and you and immediately owning it. And you love there. There wasn't a reaction shot of me considering it nope. or any of that bullshit. I was just like Anne Perkins, <laughs> and off we went. Yeah. <laughs> no bullshit. Twenty one thirty. We didn't have time for the reaction shot. <laughs> I got cut. It's yes. in the editor's assembly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Dean, let's talk about um, the Chris Traeger tears because you and I had so much fun with that. Oh my God, right? <laughs> and, and so at the end of the show, and it is, it's the ending that we've been talking about. This, it's it's this wonderful ending. It's to Vangelis's Chariots of Fire, if I, oh, if I am right. not mistaken. Yes. Yep. And, um, and Amy has this amazingly wonderful West Wingian speech and you cut to Ben, who's not really buying it. He's kind of like, eh, I don't know. And and then you swish pan to Chris and I'm weeping, and it 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 made me laugh out loud watching it again. And I just remember Dean, you and I having so many conversations because I think in the script it said Chris, it, it, Ben doesn't. It literally said Alan, you wrote it, you know. I think it said Ben, ben is nonplussed. Chris is misty eyed. Yeah, but there was never. It wasn't like. Tears stream down Traeger's face. And that's what we wanted. We're like, let's just, let's, we're like, you know, we started talking about what level of tears and everything like that. And I think both you and I agreed right away that you should just be bawling. (laughs) 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 And and it worked, you know. (laughs) But also, I think we also cut it, we we cut it in a good way because you disappear for like 15 seconds of of her speech. and, And it allows us to earn that cry. You know, and and that's the thing about just the nuts and bolts of editing. There are other iterations of an edit of that scene where that joke does not land at all. Yeah, there's there's that's the mystery of editing sometimes. And Dean knows this better than anyone. It's like sometimes you, you think it's like 10 seconds is too short. 20 seconds is too long. You come for some reason when you watch it. Oh, mm-hmm. that, oh that leg the time for some reason. The alchemy works and it's you're laughing. And I, I don't know. I definitely laughed when, when seeing it this time. Yeah. yeah, it's always all about feel, right? Like you just that's why you always you put it out there. You cut it and then watch it. And does it feel right? If it doesn't feel right, you try another way. And, and you just keep going until you watch it and go. There it is. Now it feels right. It's trial and error. One thing I, I always I always realize this is because this was only my third episode. This was the episode where I think I really got plugged into who Chris was. And it was a couple things. It was the tears because we did no tears where I was just like, you know, emotional. We did a little bit of tears 
And then we did what is in the show, which is literally, it's like a waterworks yeah. festival. And what I learned is, and we did, we continued through my whole run of the show, um, you know, varying levels of Traeger, like you were talking about Ron Swanson. And invariably, no matter how hard we tried, it was always the, the biggest version. Well, right. Chris Traeger always is always all in. Yeah. Right. What, whatever his emotion is, he gives it a hundred percent, you know? And, and I think, I mean, look at the, the even just your first talking head uh, in Master Plan is you, that, you know, scientists say that, you know, a human being will live to 150 years. And I believe I am that human being. I believe I am that human being. <laughs> yeah. I believe I am. And written by Alan Yang. Um, the other thing is, you know, we, um, I remember in the scene in this where we go to the bar, Chris doesn't know it's a gay bar. Right, Dean, you're laughing. I'm laughing. already laughing. <laughs> and 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 I'm dancing. I go, this is outstanding. Yeah. And <laughs> like I, the bigger I got with outstanding, the more Amy. La- it got to the point where we were cracking each other up by how broad I could be, and still have it work. I, it's it's actually a really fun scene in the bar and when you go over like the guy asks you out tries to buy you a drink and you go over and like I'd like to buy all you guys drinks it's like that's it's so it's so it's like whatever the we, I know we talked about character damaging moments in other in another episode whatever the opposite of character damaging is that is what that was, was like oh you really like this guy this is the nicest guy in the world he just bought a bunch of other guys drinks like it's it's so it was so funny man I mean for being so welcoming yes, really yeah for being so welcoming man it's it, it's a, it's a it's a pretty great Traeger episode and and you know it, it it's, is you know again I want to compliment Dean on the on the beginning too I love the beginning it's kind of a montage of building the team it's kind of like a heist movie right it's like and we wasn't we, it great we, yeah we kind of conceived of it's it that sting. way which yeah exactly it's the Sting it's Ocean's Eleven and it's like you see everyone working at these other jobs that was really fun to write too right it's like oh that was and it was a blast to shoot you know I loved it was so fun to put all of our characters in different worlds. That we've seen them in for two seasons, you know, and obviously it was so great to see this masterpiece that Jerry is painting and she just hucks it in the water. You won't need this anymore, I still Jerry. wonder if those are, <laughs> I still wonder if those are still in the water. I have, I, this is, so I have a lot of photos from this episode because obviously I was on set and I, there's a hilarious photo of Jim just beatifically painting this thing uh, you know it's like and it's like i think i posted it on instagram and somebody's like you don't want to know what's or I mean, on facebook maybe at the time like you don't want to know what's about to happen to this painting but yeah before the episode came out and then i loved putting all of them in the car with aziz between retta and jim yeah. and just crushing him yes. between the whole point it was like i just want to see this yes. of aziz it's exactly what she's <laughs> like i called shotgun <laughs> it's like what are you guys <laughs> doing man what are you guys doing this episode always ha- also has what I think is one of the first Ben. Good lords. Good lord. A lot of catchphrases. I, I I love the contrast between Chris and Ben in that story, right? Because you guys both do a, such a great job. You know, like I think, like we were saying, it's fun when Chris Chris is able to be, like you said, on the broader side, but still be likable. And Adam is just doing such. I really respected what he did in this episode because he's so dry. He's so subtle and so real, but it somehow fits in with the cast. It's like, you need that energy. I always feel like that. I talk about sort of balance and chemistry and casts and writing the characters mm-hmm. to a show. And it's great when you brought two guys in and one's really high energy and positive and the other guy's really dry and sort of not sarcastic, but you know, the realist, right? And it, and, and his scenes with Leslie are good, right? It's like, there's, it's, there's, he yeah. also, he also did a great job at doing that, but giving us a little hint that 
you know, he's going to loosen his tie a little bit. Yes. Right? Even just yeah. at the very end when he says, okay, and Leslie tosses the pumpkin or he tosses it back. You get it. It's like that becomes this connection between the two of them. And uh, it's great. And and there's just a little, there's a little bit of piecemeal backstory, not just about Chris, because he talks about why he's so positive, but about Ben explaining a little bit more about his backstory where he he reads that you know the the headline right ice town costs ice clown his town crown is the headline of it. <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. like they loved puns in my hometown but but i this is ice town a shout out for me was that the name of an ice rink in my hometown so that was why this yeah. guy named it ice town <laughs> and it was like just a just a weird nod to a random ass ice skating rink but yeah it was uh you know he does such a great job i, I you know it's this beginning for for adam on the show but greg you got a question i see you raising your hand yeah i'm well something we talked about in a previous episode dean is just that you can't fake chemistry between actors right you can write oh as, absolutely as best as you can but seeing two people shooting a scene together so when we talked about the hunting trip episode with uh, april and andy that that chemistry that aubrey uh, and Chris had was palpable that we then wrote towards that. Um, and you, you were just talking about Adam Scott and, and Polar. You can't fake that chemistry. Like they instantaneously had something in maybe two or three moments ago in this episode. I'm curious if you could talk about being on set with them and seeing that happen. Well, I think like I, th- I feel like there's a history there anyway and a mutual respect of what each of them do as actors, you know? So to have yeah. them both come on board and and be able to to play those moments it was kind of it was in the cards it was going to happen no matter what but th- i think I, I truly believe that comedic actors are are the actors who can play anything right it's very difficult to get a a dramatic actor a really great dramatic actor to come in and be funny but you can get a comedic actor who's absolutely hysterical and they can go turn around and play a dramatic role and they crush it because comedy requires all those emotions, right? So you can have literally a look from Adam and a look from Amy and it tells you the, their future and they know how to do that. It's That's one of those things that like we were talking about, like, I don't know how, how editors do what they do, all this stuff. I don't know how they do it, but they they just connected in that one moment and it's like you watch the show and you go, well, that now I know where that's going to go. The, those two are going to either be friends or, or even more. It just you know that that's going to be a great relationship there. Yeah. And I forget who said it, but there's something like uh, sometimes instead of writing seven, seven pages of banter where people are bonding, it's like, let's shoot them looking at each other. Like, let's just yep. shoot them looking at each other. The audience fills in all of the experiences they've had when they've connected with people. It's just more elegant. It's it's yep. it's just so expressive. And again, you're relying on your actors and you're relying on them to be talented and charismatic and expressive. But it often is 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 just uh, is really really um, helpful in that sense. Um, and it's hard. And it's hard sometimes. Like you know, you give a script like that to to a network, and they're like, "Well, we need more. Yes. How are you gonna yes. How are you gonna convey that in two looks?" But it's hard to convince them of that until they see it. But, you know, you have to know that it's that you have the actors that can pull that off. You know, it, it's like Rob pulling off like how 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 can someone be so optimistic and positive and and you still like them yes. as a character, you know, and, and it's he did a great job at finding that you're you're waiting for him to be annoying. I, by the way, I loved I wrote down a couple things that Rob said that uh, I love the I love dates talking head. 
they've all been either great or phenomenally great. It's like, it's, which is which is amazing. I also I also liked when you said, "What a magnificent flip flop." The phenomenally great and the great and phenomenally great is so wonderful when it's paid off. When when Amy goes, "How's it going?" and he goes, "It's going phenomenally great." It's going great. phenomenally great. Yes, it's, yeah. It's like, oh wow. Okay. You're so like, yes. oh, it's one of the better dates. I feel like we this little. Threesome we got going on here is 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 the Chris Trag inside Chris Trager brain. I mean, yeah. I, re- I really do. It's, it's a little it's, bit. It's Yang, Dean Holland, and me. That's the the. That's the, those are the people operating the at at that is Chris Traeger. And what's a lot, it's also like three people who have too much energy, right? It's like, it's, it, there's, it's, it's not a coincidence, yes. right? It's not a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. Everyone else is like, oh man, why, will those guys sit down? Like, why, would they, why, why doesn't Dean talk a little softer? And why doesn't yeah. Alan stop walking around the room? And why is it Chris, I, I totally, when, I, I hate myself. If I were anyone else, I would never be my friend. I'm, I'm way too much energy, loud talker. I am a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, and you kept you kept long hours too in the post part, right? I feel like you were always there, like, I, you know, like I was there sixteen hours a day, every single day. So just to tell you guys a little bit about the layout of the Parks and Rec sort of HQ, where we were sort of writing and editing the show. One wing, it's all the same floor. Was it what was it? Third floor or the fourth floor? Do you remember, Gene? The whole third floor. Okay, yeah, it was the third floor. So we're on the Radford lot, CBS Radford lot in Studio City, beautiful Studio City. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm joking. <laughs> it's fine, but we were there in this building. Uh, and and on one end was the writers. So it was like there's a big writers room, like a big open space, an office, uh, a conference room with the the computers and stuff, and the writers offices. And then you'd go down the hallway, and in the middle was the kind of bathroom area, and then the, on the other end was post. So that was where Dean was the king, and 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 all of the all the editors, assistant editors, all the edit bays, and so you so and Mike would go production back and forth. too. Morgan yes. was there. Yes. It was like production and post. Yeah. Yeah. So production. So our line producer, our accountants, accountants were in there right too. And so. So that was the kind of layout of it. And so occasionally as a writer, you'd be able to go in and look at your episode and and, and work with Dean and the editors and then, you know, work on a cut with them. And, and that was fun because it was all centralized, right? It was all centralized and, and that allowed Mike to go back and forth and, and edit as well as write. So I would always come barge into the editing room. I, I, you'd come hang out for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I love because I, I love editing is my favorite part of the process by far. Um I love it. I could be in an editing room all day it is long. The, I like I, it too. It's the best. Yeah. I, and it, by the way, like I, I probably cut this episode, but it definitely started in 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 the beginning of season three, where I started directing too much that I I couldn't edit anymore. And I remember there was a sign on my door that said. Uh, Dean Holland is not editing dailies <laughs> because because I was always doing everything but editing and I was always behind on my episodes. Yeah. That cuz I mean I was scouting, I was directing, I was scouting with other directors. I was cuz I prepped with every single director. And so that's why like, you know, come 8 o'clock at night, that's when I'd go, "All right, now I need to start editing." And um and it just like it started to be too much and so that we had to hire another editor to replace me. Yes, that makes sense. And that's the reason I, I brought up him being there late is because when the writers were there late, 
I felt like sometimes I'd walk down to the other end and Dean would be there and we'd chat or whatever. Like, or we'd play video games and waste our time, right? <laughs> there, there was a little bit of that. There was, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that certainly was a big part of the show in terms of you know, that whole brain trust on the post department end. Yeah, Call of Duty. Greg Levine says Call, Call of Duty. Duty. Yeah, it was a whole Call oh, of Duty happening. Mike, Mike would come down. I think Mike, when he needed a break from the writer's room, he'd come down to the edit room and he'd be like, come on, Dean, ed, let's edit. And, and both Mike and I would sit on the couch in the desk and the editor would edit and we would accomplish one good thing and Mike would be like, well, I mean, that's a good edit, right? We should probably play Call of Duty now. <laughs> and dur- while we were editing, do you remember the noise if you took your mouse and scrolled it over the things that would go... Yeah. And he would just do that all the time when we were editing and we're like, so do you want to play, Mike? You know. Yeah. And the production team hated us because we screamed and Very yelled. Annoying. Oh, it was so bad. Now we were I feel so bad. annoying. Now I feel bad. I know. These yeah, these idiots like playing. Like, well, come on, man, we're gonna go home. It's like, yeah, we well, we got the show done. Then we would have we would have this bullpen out in in that area with all the offices around it. And Mike and I and more, we would just throw a football. Over yeah, we did a lot. Oh man, there was a lot of. Oh, that, we too, were so bad of just of just. It was just like when you're when you're kind of grinding like that and, and trying to finish the show. It's like anything to you keep gotta you sane. You got to have these breaks. Anything to keep you yep. sane. And then Rob would yep. come up and be like, "I just got off a boat in Sardinia, and I was like on vacation." <laughs> <laughs> and just being like, "Yeah, okay, you got a good life, man. You got a good life." Yeah. I remember those. Visits. I like that life. <laughs> yeah, I remember those visits. Oh, Dean, I wanted to ask you one thing, if you remember this about the episode, because to me it shows like the fallibility of your sensibility on the day. Like, look, ultimately all you have to do is trust your instincts, right? That's all you have. So in the in the tag, do you remember shooting this tag where Pratt has like he's combed his hair and he comes in and he's 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 going in to talk to to, to Aubrey and, and her boyfriend. I remember on the day, I don't remember exactly what you and I wanted him to do, but we wanted Pratt to do something. I for, I don't even remember what it was, but we we kind of like kept giving him the note of some kind, and then I don't know if you right, remember, and he wouldn't do it. He, right? Well, he was doing something similar. We're like ah, I don't know, we didn't quite get there, and we're like ah, well, I guess we're just gonna see what happens, and then we got in the edit. And it was perfectly fine. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yeah. That, am I hallucinating I, that? Uh, yeah, no, no. You're you're one hundred percent right. And it's it's hard. I can't remember. I think like what we were looking for is that Brat Pratt might have been coming in doing kind of a bit, uh-huh. right? And maybe we were saying like this is the one time where we're going to see Andy Dwyer as oh. real as possible, right? And. And and even the combing of the hair might have been too much for us. Yes. We're like, you're doing a bit, but it, 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 he he was right. He was right because I remember <laughs> he was edit, right. I remember sitting with you in the edit, and yeah. this, I'll never forget this because as I went on to direct episodes of my own and then work on other shows and stuff like. You know, we both, you and I were convinced we saw it one way. And sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes the actor is trusting their own instinct of the scene. And I'll never forget that because we, I sat there in the edit with you and we watched it. And I was like, it works. I was like, it works. And, and he was probably right. I'm not saying we were necessarily wrong because we didn't see necessarily our quote unquote version. But whatever Pratt believed, and he wasn't being mean about it or anything. He didn't say, no, I won't do it. It just it never quite was exactly what we pictured. But whatever he did worked. Like it worked. It's a small scene, but it's important. And like the, I'll, I'll never forget that. So that was very seminal for me. And I remember you being there too. I remember sitting on that stage with you. Yep. It was, it was a, you know, cause you, you, you carry that weight when yes. we're doing it. You know what I mean? This You're sitting there got. going, Oh my God, it's yeah. not going to work. It's not going to work. But that's also part of the reason in comedy, 
maybe in everything, I don't know, but in comedy, it's like you just want tons of options. Yes. So that when you're in the edit room, I know I've got Pratt doing it three different ways, so let's see what which way works. But um, it clearly was great. I'm glad he combed his hair. Yes, it was like gives it some flavor. It was Andy Dwyer's really small way of showing that he cares about April. And I think what his reason was, I'm I'm probably making this all up, but was that he was staying true to Andy Dwyer. Yep. Right. He was go. I'm going to remain Andy Dwyer, and Andy Dwyer's way of doing this is I kind of don't behave any different. I just comb my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't Do you know disagree. What I, mean? I don't disagree because that's, Andy Dwyer is kind of an 11 year old kid. Yeah. And so the 11 year old kid says, "Oh, if I want to look presentable, I just comb my hair, and now I'm presentable." And still behave the same way. That makes sense. And, and it worked out. I, and I know? think I think what Dean says is really smart about we always want options in the editing room. We always want options. We always want levels. Because when you get in there and you have, say, five takes of something, seven takes of something, it is terrific to be able to kind of craft a scene. You don't necessarily want to Frankenstein everything together, but like you, you get these levels because you never know if you need a little bit of an adjustment. And if you have seven identical takes, you've done yourself a disservice. Also, it, you know, if you do start your cut at 35 minutes long and you cut it down to 21 minutes, you now have a different story. So when you get different performances that now adapt to that new story, it helps you know, and so it's always good. Even if something is brilliant and great, do your last take. If 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 Rob is supposed to play Chris Traeger and enjoy something, enjoy it in every take. And in the end, give me a take where you don't enjoy it. Just just to see what happens. Yep. There are some actors that have a very hard time doing that because when you and this is clearly could not be this is not the case on this show, but when you're working with people that you don't trust. It is very, very, very difficult to give an, an alternative performance that is not your natural instinct because you don't trust your partners and you'll go to the movie and there's that one fucking take that you didn't want to do, that you didn't think worked. And by the way, you were right. And there it is on the screen. So you will get actors who won't do it because they've learned how to protect themselves. And I will be honest with you, the longer you work as an actor, the more likely you are to be that person. Absolutely. Because not everybody's talented. And, and, I, and I totally sympathize, especially, you know, I, I've talked about this with actors. It is so difficult to relinquish control in that way because they're not in that editing room. Other than Rob popping by and, and, and saying hi to us, he's not necessarily pushing the buttons on the show. Yeah. And so it takes a phenomenally high level of trust to give those different levels. And I was about to compliment the actors on this show because they would do it naturally. They wouldn't necessarily even, we wouldn't even have to ask them. Sometimes like Pratt or, or Rob or any of these actors, you know, Offerman, like they, you're just giving different levels. You know, not even necessarily wild swings. We talked about earlier the scene where you're crying. We did one not crying, one tiny bit of crying, one full on crying. Then you're, then, then you have a great freedom in the editing room and Rob trusted the auspices of the show and we did the funniest version, right? So, so it, it, it's all, it's all a, a, a circle of trust kind of. Um, but, but yeah, you know, and it's also like, you don't want to say, 
you don't ever want to go to an actor and say, hey, for the sake of like a bunch of different options, let's do it this way. It's more like, hey, can you get there and does it make sense for the scene and let's do it. Look, only do it if, if you feel like you can do it well, of course. Like that's, well, the, that's other, the, the other thing is it, I think know? it's I think it's easier. It, it, Pratt's talked like the talked about this a lot, and I agree. Um, particularly as he's gone on to do to carry movies, and 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 that's where I come from is the same is movies is that you when you're a leading man and you find yourself in comedy, it's so freeing. And there's because there's no vanity. In fact, the less vain you are, the funnier it is. And so you're freed. You're 100% freed. And when you're freed in that level, you're also freed to do a thousand iterations of a moment because it's not a drama. You know, it's not all hanging on you. You're not the, the, the leading man of it all. And, and that's what I, you know, at the end of the day found so unbelievably refreshing and fun about my time on parks was I, I I just was nothing but it was just fun, fun, fun. And it's it's also it's our job, you know, as a director or writer or showrunner to almost instantly try to get the actors to trust us, right? It, it, yep. You know, that that is that is one of the many jobs that we have. You know, we we have to we have to get you to trust us and and see what we do and what we can accomplish to, you know, give you that comfort to perform. Yeah. And I think on that tip about being comfortable performing, Greg, you had a, a, a point you wanted to make. I always said there are two great reasons to visit the Parks and Rec set, and I think people would be interested. My own personal one was I like to go into Crafty, <laughs> the best snacks after lunch were at Crafty. But the second reason were the fun runs. And Dean, if you ever actually used anything from the fun run in an episode. You know, we definitely used stuff from fun runs. Absolutely. Um not always, but we definitely used them. I mean, it'd be the kind of thing where I, it, it's a scene where I'm in the whole scene. But in the fun run, maybe I decide to leave the scene. <laughs> literally just leave. And, and then come back with, yeah. you know, what I mean, li, li, it literally was sky the limit. And I think, I mean, Pratt in particular always went sort of apeshit in the fun runs. Don't you think? Morgan and I would be upstairs and we would get a call. And it would be Pratt's trying to jump over something. And we'd have to run downstairs because we're like, Pratt, you, you have to stop doing stunts. There is no stunt person here. You can't, you can't be on rollerblades and jump over the counter. Right. You're going to get hurt. And, and then, he, there was no stopping him. He would do anything. Yeah. Dean, do you remember the time you asked me to jump up? Well, I think I might have suggested it. It was we were doing this like Chris Traeger athletic stuff in the office and I was like, I had been training where I was doing a lot of standing box jumps at the time. And somehow I thought I could jump from a standing position up onto the top of my desk. Do you remember this? <laughs> and, and we, and which would have been fun and funny. Why well, ate shit. <laughs> I, I didn't make it and did such a head plan and all my Chris Traeger vitamins went flying <laughs> went everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> and that was, that's, that's something we did in a, in a fun run and never made it onto the air, but it yeah. was, it was. <laughs> Uh, humiliating, but also very funny. You never know, man. You never know. <laughs> okay, we have an oops moment in our episode. Uh, it's specifically when Leslie and the Parks Department pitched their plan for the Harvest Festival 
to Chris and Ben. So they're all together holding the banner from the old Harvest Festival that's standing behind Leslie. And once the proposal gets approved, they celebrate, and you see that Jerry is now the only one holding the banner. But immediately after that, Ben throws the pumpkin he's holding to Leslie, and you see Leslie catch it, and behind her, everyone is holding the banner. Report it to IMDb. Get your internet points. One of those moments, guys. This, this kind of thing happens in editing sometimes. So a couple things, just behind-the-scenes information. The person whose job it is to identify this kind of stuff is the script supervisor who's in charge of continuity. And so that's a person who sits watching the monitors with you and says, oh, my God, Leslie used her left hand to drink that coffee, and this time she's using her right hand. And that shit won't cut together because it'll, <laughs> it'll jump from hand to hand, and you will notice generally. So we loved our script supervisor on Parks and Rec. Her name is Valeria, Valeria Collins. She has an insane resume. She's done the Fast and Furious movies. She's done a bunch of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. She did She did Punch Drunk Love, I believe. Anyway, fascinating person to talk to. I always try to hire her on every show. Love Valeria. So that's one way it can fuck up if, if there's actual... But in this case, I believe it's more of an idea of we stitch together takes from different takes and and in the edit, when you're editing the show, so in this case, it might be that it was out of order or something like that, so we're jumping back and forth in time, but you sometimes come up against a, a, a dilemma in the editing room where you have something you really want to get across, you have a joke you really want to use, you have a story point you really want to hit in a certain order, but if you do that, there will be a continuity error. And so as the director or showrunner or boss or whatever, you often have to make the decision and in this case, uh, clearly Mike decided it was worth it because he, he knows he knows that the banner's in the wrong place when we go back to, to Ben throwing the pumpkin. But, you know, you take the hit. And then uh, 10 years later, Greg points out that you made a mistake. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, this is a big episode. And I know we've recently been picking our MVP, Most Valuable Pawnean. And I think we can all agree that our MVP for this episode is none other than Ron Swanson and his Pyramid of Greatness. Yes! Anytime you can uh, produce a prop that gets sold in the NBC Universal store, I'm serious, you can go buy it right now. Uh, you have to do that. I'll just always remember him in his red sweater uh, being on set with him and Pratt doing those basketball scenes and... and uh, in my office to this day, I still have a framed photo of Nick in his sweater with all those little kids, and uh, it sits behind me in my office. So, Pyramid of Greatness, Ron Swanson, congratulations. Buy it now in the NBC Universal store. Um, what do you say we, we take a trip to the town hall? What do you think, Rob? I think we should. I think you should choose where we're going to town hall this one up, though. Well, you know what? I I so I really enjoyed the Chris and Ben and Leslie and Ann scenes at the Bulge. Let's do it at the Bulge. We're oh, doing it. That's, that's what is it? That's outstanding. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. So we're going to take this question from Jessica from L.A., and the question is, if you could work for any park in the world, what would be the park, and what would you do? Hmm. Central Park would be great. I mean, let's face it, it's the best park in the world. 
Petco Park, I could work for the San Diego Padres. That is thinking outside the bun. That is thinking outside the bun, Rob. I love Petco right? Park. I, I'm, I'm going to think outside the bun even more. Disneyland. <laughs> Disneyland oh! Park, man. Disneyland, motherfuckers. <laughs> God, uh, <laughs> you win. I would I would work at like the Star Wars ride or something. Like that seems pretty fun. I I had my my brother in law my brother in law worked at Magic Mountain. He was a he was a churro boy. So <laughs> I, Ooh, I, I, that was one. How about you? Very Dean? popular. Yeah, exactly. What do you? What about you? You know, I, I I don't know. I I recently went to Zion and it was pretty great. I would oh, go to Zion. <laughs> that's pretty nice, man. Are you an out? You're an outdoorsy kind of guy, right, Dean? Do you do like I that like kind that of stuff? stuff. I like hikes and stuff. I mean, I'm pretty. I'm basically Mr. Glass. I, everything breaks on me but i still oh, like it right. i walked the narrows which the whole thing is in water on rocks and so i had two hiking sticks and both braces on my ankles and oh it was brutal meanwhile i'm over at disneyland having a ball not getting injured I but know. yeah i know it. i should <laughs> way, i should take yours the notion of uh, the, the phrase he was the churro man, he was the churro at, boy, man. yeah the churro boy at magic mountain feels like there's a billion amazing jokes around that he's, phrase. he's had a lot of jobs he was a valet parker yeah he's in a lot of stuff but yeah um <laughs> great band name someone says in the chat <laughs> it is says. isn't it uh yeah so uh uh i think that's all we got for the town hall let's take our leave from the bulge uh had a great time thank you for being so welcoming at the bulge um, I think we're wrapping it up, yeah. You know what? Remember remember behind the scenes, we had a little happy birthday to me at the Bulge? Do you remember that? Oh, Dean's least favorite oh. thing, right? You hate your birthday, so we did a birthday <laughs> song, I right? I hate my birthday. I hate any attention on me, and you guys got... 150 extras to sing happy birthday to At me. The bulge. Or we got really, video. it was Morgan, but we, yeah. Yeah, we, we got have video. video. We got video of Dean celebrating his birthday at the Bulge like he always dreamed. So <laughs> well, I, I think I think there's only one way to sign off this podcast. Happy birthday <laughs> yes, yeah. to Dean. Yeah. Let's get all our listeners <laughs> to sing a song. Happy birthday yes, to Dean. That's what we get. There it is. Wish Dean a we happy birthday it. if you see him on the street. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks, everybody. This was a, a fun, fun get-together, as always. Next week, another very, very funny episode. We've got some good stuff coming up for you. So, uh, And by the way, you know, you're, you're, you're in this with us. So download our whole seasons here. That's what we need. And uh, don't forget to go to Apple and um, give us a good rating. Rate and review. Five stars. Thank you to Dean Holland. And thank you to producers Schulte and Greg. Bye for Pawnee. Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Stitcher.